0: The following episode is brought to you by the generous donations of Laura Pickren, Daryl Delaney, Darren Katska, Devious Pop-Tart, Irene Villarito, Ryan Royce, Andy Dossett, Danielle Bramhall-Smith, Elizabeth Clark, Eric Whitman, Jessica Smith, Charles Compton, Natasha Rowlerson, Richard Cree, The Cam Family, David Scrams, Dustin Troop, Edvarth Arnoff, Michael Clark, Rebecca Gauman, and Shelby Johnson. As well as all of our generous patrons. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Hello and welcome to Eberron Renewed, an actual play podcast set in the Eberron campaign setting. I am your Game Master, Eric, and this week we are doing kind of a solo Eberron-reviewed GM q and I reached out on our Discord and on our Facebook page for questions from you all uh, that you had for me as the GM for the campaign, and I'm going to go through them and answer them as best as I possibly can obviously we're going to avoid spoilers for things that have yet to happen in the campaign that I have planned out Uh, but I'm excited to get into some of these questions and go through it and we'll see how long of an episode this ends up being it may be a bit shorter than normal it may be a whole lot longer who knows I will when I'm done editing this anyway uh, thank you all so much for listening and we are going to jump into it These aren't in any particular order. I'm just gonna go through as I see them. I have them laid out on my screen here. Uh, So the first one is from Ophelia in our Discord. Uh, Ophelia asked, who's been your favorite NPC so far? And I mean, in terms of the sheer player reaction, Maris Pebblefist, the underground doctor, getting to actually play him in this last arc was delightful. Uh, To see everyone's reaction, and I actually broke Randy while he was talking while being Maris, uh, which Randy, consummate professional that he is, rarely breaks while he's in character, and so that was so much fun. Um, But Maris was obviously a fun one-off character. Um, At least as it stands right now, there's not a whole lot of meat on those bones in terms of role-playing and character depth. Uh, So that is a fun one to play. Honestly, it's got to be Vigo. Uh, Vigo has been so much fun to play over the course of the entire campaign and show his evolution over time where he is now versus where he started and that journey along the way. Uh, and I'm excited to continue playing Vigo for as long as the party continues interacting with the clan. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Irene asked, What are your favorite slash least favorite aspects of running a globe-trotting campaign versus a city-based campaign? And does running them for a podcast change how you do things compared to your home table? And I do also want to call out on our Facebook page, um, Everon Renewed, that you can search for on Facebook and follow over there. Uh, Darren also asked a very similar question of what do you like better about running an urban game versus a globe-trotting campaign? What do you miss about the structure of the first campaign? Where on this spectrum are you leaning for campaign three? So I'm going to take that amalgamation of questions and do my best to answer them. So um, in terms of a globetrotting campaign versus a city-based campaign, uh, this campaign as a city-based, urban-based campaign has been much more character-driven. We have less ground in a very literal sense that we need to cover And we're able to have many more reoccurring characters in a campaign that is city-based as opposed to the globe-trotting nature of campaign one of Eberron Renewed, where we were going all over the place uh, on an airship and doing big things, making big moves. Now, I love the character-based nature of a city-based campaign. I love the reoccurring NPCs. I love how the character... The city becomes a character unto itself almost at certain points. Um, It can be restrictive, though. There have been moments where I've gotten uh, a point of inspiration in my day-to-day life. I read something or I watched something and I thought, oh, that would be so cool to adapt. But I pitched this game as being based out of Sharn. And the idea that I have would very much take the campaign out of Sharn. And it would fit much better in a globetrotting campaign. So there have been points of inspiration that I I have had moments where having it be based in the city and being an urban level campaign has felt somewhat restrictive. Whereas with a globetrotting campaign, you can always scale that back to have a string of quests be street level. But it's a much harder sell to flip it the other way of taking a campaign that is street level And then doing a globetrotting section, if that makes sense. Um, So you have a lot more freedom with the globetrotting campaign, I I would say, is my favorite aspect of it, where as a GM, you can take things so many places. Whereas with a city-based campaign, you're much more restricted, but you can get a lot more intimate with the characters and the storytelling and things like that. Uh, does running them for a podcast change how you do things compared to your home table was Irene's follow-up question. Uh, so it's been a while since I've run a home table game. Most of the D&D that I play and run is content based. Uh, I will say just before recording this episode, I had session zero for a home game. So hopefully it goes well, uh, but uh, well, session zero will well. hopefully the campaign goes well. Um, but I will say that Early on, running for a podcast very much changed how I ran my game compared to how I ran them before. And I don't think now it will as much, just because my personal sensibilities and sensitivities and things like that have aligned with who I am as a content creator versus just an everyday person. And whereas before, when I first started doing content, uh, I I was just less aware of certain things and things I needed to be cognizant of. And so it was a growth process. Um, And so I don't think there's going to be a huge change other than the way I structure the game. There will be less uh, pressure to have a button to end in an episode where it's going to be a satisfying episode and breaking my sessions up into episodic chunks. I'm sure some of that will come over and it will hopefully benefit the game by giving it a sense of flow and momentum, but there'll be less pressure to do that. And uh, for Darren's follow-up question, um, what do I miss about the structure of the first campaign and where on this spectrum are you leaning for campaign three? So um, I I miss the freedom, like I said, uh, from campaign one of the globe trotting, you can go anywhere, do anything. But that can lead to it being kind of scattered, I guess. Uh, In terms of where am, am I on the spectrum for campaign three, I would like to, you know, find that happy medium of having a strong home base with strong NPCs and a strong infrastructure, but the story is allowed to breathe and go places. And so you can have stories and quests that are intimate, and set in the home base or the home city, what have you. But then also you can travel. You can go out for days, weeks at a time, but you're constantly coming back to this home base, I think is where I'm leaning right now for campaign three. That's all theoretical in my head. We have not had a session zero for campaign three, obviously. So I can't speak too definitively because the players get input on that aspect of the campaign, obviously. So Jeff cast member of the show who is your favorite player uh it it, it's got to be randy as flame 112 said it's obviously randy like come on in response to just question um no in all seriousness obviously every player brings something unique and different to the table uh that i appreciate and enjoy playing with them uh i'm not going to go into deep details about each and every one of them um but they are all a joy to play with and I, i have a great time at the table Crow on our Discord asked, uh, what's your favorite element of Sharn? Either something you introduced or was already canon asp- a canon aspect. Um, also, are the cold opens going to come back? So uh, there's been multiple conversations about the cold opens coming back. Um, it's primarily a scheduling thing uh, with the cold opens because we don't record those during the sessions. Generally, we would record them uh, separately. And so that, that's a whole other scheduling can of worms. Uh, and scheduling the show proper is, uh, <laughs> is a task in and of itself. So scheduling additional things on top of that without it constantly being the same players based on availability uh, is a tricky thing. So I would love for them to come back. Uh, it's just needing to uh, circle some of those squares. Uh, favorite element of Sharn. My favorite aspect of Sharn is, I, I would say the crime element because it's so malleable. Uh, because with the Boromar clan and Dask and the tyrants and, and all of it, you can play it so many different ways. Obviously we have a strong kind of mafia vibe in a lot of aspects of Boromar, but we also have kind of the underground smugglers and you can also go kind of, um, industrial revolution era England with like the street gangs and and things like that. And so there's a lot of different things that you can do with them that I think are so much fun and unique. That's the thing I like. I liked about the concept of playing a game in Sharn is because it is so unique compared to so many fantasy tabletop RPG game settings. Um, and I, I know that there are there are aspects of every section of Ebron that are unique, but to have a a city of towers that is full of crime and corporations and uh, it threads that needle of. High fantasy, low fantasy, cyberpunk, grimdark. Like, there, there's so much going on that you can play with that I really enjoy. Leopard asked, What has been your favorite story arc to plan this far? And which one didn't you enjoy how it played out the most? Was it the one where everything went as you expected, or the one that went completely off the rails? So, generally speaking, I am an agent of chaos when it comes to uh, who I am at the table. I love it when things go off the rails. I love it when I don't know what's going to happen next as much as the players. Uh, So my favorite arc to plan thus far has been the murder mystery. Uh, Just because that was a lot of fun. I, I wanted to approach the plotting of the murder mystery arc with having everything already recorded. Like I wanted to plan... All of the different plot threads that they could go down from an evidence standpoint and interviewing people and have have this whole murder board already plotted out. And so that was so much fun to to build a murder board and think about, Okay, so this person was there and this is the information they're going to have and it's going to lead them over here. But if they go to this person first, it's going to lead them back over here. And so there's a whole net of connections that uh, will forever be on not the cutting room floor because it wasn't recorded, but just on in my notes. Because they they took certain paths that blocked off other paths or just other paths became redundant and unnecessary. And so that was so much fun to construct this elaborate uh, web of of a murder scene and the people that saw it and the people that knew different pieces of information and things like that. Um, Which one did I enjoy how it played out the most? Uh, I think the the teleportation canisters, uh, like I said, I love chaos. Uh, it's so much fun. So, you know, having this this heist robbery gig turn into a chase through the towers of Sharn with Hob on the back of, of a barge, essentially, it, it was so much fun. It was, it was a great time. Ophelia followed up Irene's question uh, with any advice for running street level city campaigns tied to a home base? So the big thing that I would say is the the whole appeal of a street-level city campaign, in my opinion, is that you want to have a strong connection to that city and the level of the city that you're on. And for me, that means the NPCs. You want to have reoccurring NPCs that the characters are interacting with uh, on a regular basis uh, they can become resources that can join the party on adventures and things like that if they want, but just having them be constants in their lives. Introducing, I would say, if you're talking about a long, like full multi-year campaign, then around a dozen NPCs or, or less, if you find that your need is less than that, with unique skill sets and unique personalities and things like that, uh, will A leave a lot of heavy lifting on your part unnecessary because you're already going to have a strong stable of characters that you can pull on. So if the party is like, we want to go see if we can find a fence for this thing. Oh, well, you already know a fence. Uh, here you go. Or we're going to go find an underground doctor. Okay, Maris Pebblefist is your underground doctor. And so establishing this core of NPCs that the party can go to on a regular basis and get to know and care about will give you a lot of opportunity for unique storytelling Um, and and will give you an opportunity to both use the strength of those characters to tell evocative stories as well as allow your villains to potentially threaten some of those NPCs to motivate the party into action potentially. Uh, So that would be my biggest advice is spend a lot of time on your NPCs and fleshing them out, giving them plenty of depth to where Your party can interact with them six, seven, eight times uh, over the course of a dozen sessions and still feel like there's more to learn about this character and more to learn uh, from them. Uh, And outside of that, uh, manage your threat level. That's why I really am still glad that we went with Genesis for this campaign, because with D&D... The power creep gets to the point to where having a true street-level campaign once your party is 8th, ninth, 10th level becomes increasingly difficult because your threats have to continue to grow and grow and grow, and eventually it just, why are street toughs casting finger of death, Uh, to to use an absurd example. But that is a reason that I enjoy Genesis as a system for a street-level campaign, I'm sure you could modify D&D to work well, maybe block off certain spells, things like that, but generally speaking, I really think that a a system with a lower level magic system especially lends itself well to a street level campaign. So, maybe look at other systems if you're really wanting to run one of these that would lend itself better to this type of campaign. Uh, Crow asked, uh, favorite antagonist to play so far? I already said Vigo, and I think that still stands Um, Solomon Calloway is also a lot of fun to play. I don't get as many opportunities to play, uh, Solomon Calloway, but I have really enjoyed playing him. Flame 112 on the discord asks, Eric, did you always intend the Ram to be a reoccurring enemy slash foil for Hob, or did it just turn out that way? Also, how did you decide who slash what took over the Ram's body? So the Ram, I, I didn't intend to become what the Ram ended up becoming, I thought the Ram was going to be a fun rival for Hob down the road, but then things just uh, of my of my own doing uh, morphed and changed to where the Ram became much more of a enemy antagonist towards Hob, and then Eris and and the whole party kind of got skin in the game uh, in terms of wanting to take the Ram down, and in terms of how did I decide? I just kind of went through what types of stories I wanted to tell that I had yet the opportunity to tell in this campaign and then went digging through Eberron lore to find something that could fill that gap because the Ram was such a gift from the party of, of having Trevor try to try to do resurrection and rolling a despair um, or a bunch of threat. I forget which one it was. Um, It was just such a perfect opportunity to insert a character in. And I, I had a lot of different ideas for who could be inserted. Um and and I ultimately I'm happy with what I landed on. The the biggest thing is this party hasn't like killed a whole lot of big enemies yet. And so I initially thought, oh, this would be a great chance to bring somebody back who they killed, but there's not, other than the Ram, there's not a whole lot. So and obviously it couldn't be the Ram because the spell was failed. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with the the plan that I have and where it's going to go moving forward. Okay. Alex on our Facebook group asks, uh, what has been the biggest pleasant surprise of the season in terms of style of game and/or Genesis system? So, biggest surprise has honestly been I, I've really enjoyed how well everybody has taken to the multi-axes success fail nature. Of the Genesis system. Uh, It it is a daunting thing, especially for people that have have played a lot of D20-based systems to switch over to the mindset of like, okay, I succeed, but something bad happens that isn't related to the thing I was trying, but it's in addition to, and it can be a lot to wrap your head around. And I've really enjoyed seeing the creativity and what people have come up with in terms of what happens when a despair comes up or a triumph or a bunch of advantage and seeing what that looks like. Uh, but also the characters, uh, the characters in this campaign, I have really grown to have a level of affection for, I won't say more than campaign one, but certainly there's a different level of, of affection, uh, for these characters and just the level of depth that they all have and the, the amount of flaws and how relatable all these characters are that I really enjoy. Um, Alex also asks, what's an aspect of Eberron you've never explored, but we would be interested in for future episodes? So I've really enjoyed playing in Sharn, and there's still a lot of Sharn that we have yet to touch on. And I feel like the the actual impact of the houses in Sharn is something we haven't deeply touched on. Uh, obviously, they've they've ransacked multiple house facilities, and we've had... Uh, Hobbes interaction uh, with one of the houses, but I don't feel like we've gotten a real sense of how much, at least in, in my Eberron, a stranglehold the houses have on the different industries in Sharn. And that's something that if the opportunity presents itself, I would like to get into and explore a bit of. Brian Wilson asked, Is there an overall direction and plot you have for the campaign as a whole or is it episodic by nature? So from a planning standpoint and just from a a almost philosophical standpoint going into this campaign, I wanted it to feel just completely different from campaign one. I wanted it to be a stark departure in a different direction. And so part of that was campaign one in my planning phase, I... I knew who the big bads were going in. I I had an idea for what the end game looked like. I had an idea for the different act structure and where things were going were to go. Uh, some of that went way out the window, uh, but a lot of the big beats didn't. They, they stayed in place. And uh, what happened in campaign one happened in campaign one. Like I said, not going to get into spoilers here because this is a campaign two show. And if you still are listening through campaign one, you're good. But I wanted this campaign to be very much driven by the idea of, in Iron Man 3, Tony Stark says, you create your own demons. And I wanted that to be kind of the ethos of campaign two, of let's drop a party of characters in Sharn, have them working for the Boromar clan, and let's see what they can create in terms of their own demons. Who are they going to antagonize? Who are they going to convince these antagonistic ent- entities that they need to deal with the party members, that kind of thing. Uh, so that was my, my my planning going in is I had Session Zero with the players. We wanted to work for the clan, wanted to have kind of a crime-driven campaign. And then from that point, I started fleshing things out for each individual character and the stories kind of surrounding them. And I wanted the characters' individual personal stories to drive and flesh out the overall story. So obviously Milo has a strong attachment to the clan and a great amount of loyalty to the clan. And so the clan aspects are very much driven largely by Milo's character. Eris has Olive and Norsen Millhatch and all of kind of the the mega maniacal industrial uh, mad people in Sharn. (laughs) And that's very much heiress's story hob has the houses and um in that aspect and reynard has his family drama and how that comes into play and all these things all these things come together to create the central narrative of a group of people just trying their best and and doing well at some points and failing at others so that is that is the overall direction i had but i didn't plot out this campaign if that makes sense And then we only have a couple questions left from Mark Stanley on the Geek Pantheon Facebook group. Can you tell us your favorite parts of the campaign so far and how much of the shenanigans with Milo's wife was developed in play versus ahead of time? So favorite parts of the campaign so far. Uh, I've loved the embrace of the the pulpy over-the-top aspect of Eberron in this campaign, like getting to do chases through the Towers of Sharn, over-the-top superhero-esque fights. It's all been so much fun to see this side of Eberron really shine. And I think that's not something we got a whole lot of in campaign one. So I'm really loving that tone of this, this campaign so far. And in terms of the shenanigans with Milo's wife developed in play versus ahead of time, uh, Randy kind of gave me uh, carte blanche. He 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 told me, Milo... His wife died, he hears her voice, Uh, she died in a fire. And that was really all Randy had in terms of of ahead-of-time planning. And then I came up with some ideas and some thoughts uh, that developed over time to not really even fully align with with my ahead-of-the-time planning. Um, Jason, having that shadow spell thing and, like looking like a house Therani spell and Mark that happened in the moment that that wasn't something that was plotted out and planned. Uh, It was something where I think Milo rolled a bunch of advantage and I was like, okay, what can I do? Oh, this will be an interesting wrinkle. Go with it. And so now this whole new aspect of Milo's story has been introduced relating to his wife. And so a lot of it has come up organically and I really enjoyed that. We have one more question from the Discord. You thought I would forget. From Laura, please, can we have just a hint of what your super secret naming algorithm is? So for those of you who don't know, in previous reviews, I've alluded to I have a quote-unquote algorithm uh, that's overselling it by a mile uh, for naming a lot of the NPCs. Uh, to varying degrees of success. It gave us Norson Milhatch. It also gave us um uh Herbon Primafit, I think was was the name of another one. So, you know, there's a spectrum of success for this <laughs> um for this this naming convention. Um I'm trying to think of what would be a good hint to give if I can't even give one without giving too much away. Um I'll I'll give you a word that is a hint and you can take this for what you will synonyms. There you go. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to be part of the conversation surrounding this episode or if I decide to do one of these again, you want to be able to ask me your questions, head on over to our Discord, the link to which you can find on all of our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the geek pantheon. That's where you can find it. We also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash where I have a bunch of DMing videos up and book reviews, as well as an actual play GM'd by Philip called Kyber Shards that is set in Stormreach, and I'm a player on it. It's a grand old time. Uh, some crazy stuff just recently happened, so if you haven't been watching, go check the show out. Uh, and yeah, thank you all so much. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the all of our wonderful patrons who support the shows financially um, and go check that out. If you want to join them, thank you all. I've been your game master, Eric. I will see you next time.